Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. the month of june is nearly over and as we were staring at the calendar we're just a couple weeks away from conference previews the long cold dark off season it's coming to a conclusion and today is a continued celebration of the season being right around the corner uh, we're inside what 70 days now from kickoff and uh, to fully start celebrating that we put together our top 10 list of non-conference games that you should be watching uh, this upcoming season in 2023. With that, welcome you inside the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney along with me. And fellas, uh, when we start diving into the schedule, games that we get to to kind of circle on on the schedule each and every week, uh, it, it's a really, really exciting time. We're not diving into full previews yet, but we're starting to turn the engine over. Yeah, you're going to hear us start to tease some of these teams, right? Tease out the previews. Maybe we've read over the preview magazine articles for some of these teams. It's a shameless plug right there. But um, we're, we're not fully into preview season yet. That's coming in a couple of weeks, but we're definitely going to have at least a general idea of what hopefully we'll see from some of these teams this year that makes us excited to watch them. Uh, you know, either get a rematch from a game that was played last year or play a team that we haven't seen them play in a long time. Yeah, and I'm just so glad that talking season is almost over, right? I mean, we're a podcast, so we talk college football. And so, yeah, we like talking season for, for our purposes. But I much prefer watching season and then actually reacting season and all the other stuff. I, I find it so much more fun to do that. So now that we're getting real close to previews, uh, it's starting to get a little bit more real and uh, getting to actually think about real college football games and real things happening uh, on the field. That's going to be a lot more fun for this episode. That's right. And guys, the talking season, the preview season, it's sponsored by our partners, Transfer Portal, CFB, and the magazine that's coming out in just 10 days from the recording of this episode. Uh, in collaboration with our friends at the Transfer Portal CFB, we're preparing to release our 2023 College Football Preview Magazine. Unlike other popular magazines you can buy, our preview has an in-depth preview of every single FBS team. That's all 133 of them, including analysis, projections, recruiting nuggets, and more. We've even got exclusive interviews with stars like Grayson McCall, Keaton Slovis. If you uh, follow them on their Twitter account, you just saw the plug for the Rashad Wisdom interview down at UTSA, a real... Uh, emotional story, just a, a really, really cool battle um, for Rashad. So you're going to want to make sure you get access to all of that. Plus, we've got contributions from the Sickos Committee. Yours truly, we we wrote some of these articles as well. Guys, the best part, though, it's available for a third of the price. Um, I just got uh, one of my most favorite preview magazines, but was reminded, you know, I did pay some decent money for this. Your copy of the Transfer Portal CFB magazine can be yours on July 5th for just $9.99. Uh, like I said, there's there's really not another 
um, wealth of information like this for such a low price. This is a very, very unique product. And guys, we're really, really proud of it. Yeah, just can't say enough good things about this product that we're putting out. You've heard us talk about it. You've seen the previews on Twitter. Just see for yourself. It's it's going to be an amazing resource for you. You're going to be the smartest person at your week one watch party. You're going to be right. the smartest person in your office pool when you uh, get that fired up this fall. Make sure that you are fully prepared for all those things this fall. Yeah, there's really no other way that we can hype it up at this point. It's a great magazine. It's, yes, like you were saying, Mitch, it's a lot cheaper than, you know, getting some of these magazines, which we love to get, but it almost feels like a steal to be able to get this magazine for this price. So go out and get yours. Uh, it's it's going to be worth your money. And yeah, you can, can read it on your phone. So when you take mm-hmm. your maybe twice daily, I'll just say break at the office, um, <laughs> no one's going to no one's gonna be the wiser of what you're doing. That's right. Uh, you know, have a conversation with the Jimmys and the Joes while you're reading uh, from the Jimmys and the Joes. I'll tell you this. Uh, we're not going to forget Evan Stewart on the all SEC team. That's that's all I'll say. As far as <laughs> the quality of our product maybe versus um, some others out there. We, we have painstakingly gone over all the details, crossed the T's, dotted the I's. It's, it's going to be a really fun read. Uh, gentlemen, with that, Let's get into this top 10 list. Now, this list is chronological. So this is not ranked as we present them. If you want to go read our list and see our analysis, we will have an article up on the Transfer Portal CFB website. If you are you know, reading the article and you happen to find the podcast because of that article, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Uh, we record episodes twice a week now on uh, both YouTube and Spotify, Apple, wherever you get it. If you like listening to your podcast, great. If you like watching the show or watching segments of the show, head on over to the YouTube channel at 3TechPod. Garrett does a great job of clipping those things up there. So to anyone that is new, finding this for the very first time, which a lot of you are, the YouTube channel grew by like 10% this last week. It was really, really fun. We welcome you guys in. It's, it's a lot of fun to have all these new faces joining, subscribing, leaving comments. It's a blast interacting with you guys. Uh, but... Chronological list, so we'll start with week one. And guys, a game that is at the very top of everybody's list when you uh, when you talk about the college football kickoff, Florida at Utah, August 31st. This is an 8 p.m. Eastern kick. The Gators upset Utah last season in the swamp. Now Utah is looking to at least return the favor, earn a week one win at home. Uh, two programs that are in different ecosystems a little bit right now i don't think anybody is accusing florida of being a championship contender uh being a dark horse for the heisman utah meanwhile is coming off back-to-back wins uh in the pac-12 conference championship game they were in the rose bowl last year where do you guys kind of stack up here on this early utah florida matchup how excited are you to watch this week one it's really interesting, and I, this is a Thursday night kickoff, um, so this is going to be where all eyes of the nation are um, as we enter week one. And, you know, thinking back to the game last year, I think it came as a shock to a lot of people that Florida was able to hold on and actually knock off Utah. I know weather was a factor. I know, you know, just Anthony Richardson kind of put the team on his back at a couple points in that game. Uh, also looked very mortal at a couple points in that game as well. But um, Florida winning last year was – maybe not a shock to people in Gainesville, but I think nationally wasn't expected to happen. So you go up to altitude, you go up to Salt Lake city for the rematch this year. 
Utah certainly has the more experienced team. And, you know, we can argue who actually has the better Jimmys and Joes on the field um, from a recruiting standpoint or just like an actual production and college standpoint. Um, it's very interesting to see that matchup play out. But Utah certainly more experienced. I think the quarterback matchup, Cam Rising, I know there's been some questions that he has tried to definitively answer on his personal social medias about his availability at the start of the year. But I don't think there's very many people that would not take Cam Rising over Graham Mertz in the quarterback matchup. I know I'd certainly prefer to have Rising on my side. It looks like things are setting up for Utah to have a nice home opening win. But again, that's what we thought last year when they came down to the swamp in Florida, made sure they knew really quickly that SEC athletes are ready to go against the top of the best conference or the best in some of these other top conferences. Yeah, well, and I certainly thought that that was how it was going to play out for Utah as well. I certainly thought that Utah was going to go in there and get their playoff run started with a big win at Florida. And then what happened was a quarterback who previously had some holes in his game uh, and, you know, wasn't necessarily perfect in that game, came out and shocked them, put his team on his back, and Florida wins. Um, And so now we have a quarterback with some holes in his game who will be traveling to Utah, and hopefully for the Utah fans, that does not repeat itself uh, this time in Salt Lake. Look, at the end of the day, I think Utah is the much better team here. I think that outside of, you know, what Trey has pointed out in the past, some of the glaring, you know, holes in Utah's ability to, you know, win some of these games, that they, they seem to have these, you know, massive drop-offs all of a sudden, uh, inexplicably sometimes for Utah. I think outside of one of those, this will probably be pretty clear uh, the line here favors Utah pretty heavily, so I think that's going to be a big factor as well. Uh, but look, I mean, this Utah team, like you were saying, Mitch, right off the start, back-to-back Pac-12 champions, back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances, back-to-back losses in the Rose Bowl to very good, you know, Big Ten teams. Um, it they They haven't quite gotten over the hump. They haven't quite shown that they can compete at the most elite level, but they've proven that they can go up there and play at the highest level in their own conference and beat some very, very good teams. I think that's probably how this one rolls out first, but it'll be a very fun game to watch nonetheless. This is the first time that an SEC team has traveled to Utah um, ever. So wow. a little bit of a, a you know landmark game in, in that sense. Uh, the big question for Utah is will Cam Rising be ready to go? Um, the ACL tear in the Rose Bowl last year, you know, someone put out a report that, oh yeah, he actually suffered a setback. Now his, you know, availability for even the first half of the season might be in question. And and Cam retweeted it with, uh, like a gif going, oh really? Like that's news to me. So, uh, you know, at least internally, it seems like Cam is on the right track still. That being said, first game back from an ACL tear, I expect them to protect him and it's week one right so the play calling is probably probably going to be uh, a little bit more conservative I think Jaquindon Jackson is going to be the x factor here for Utah right how effective is he running against that front seven for Florida which you know say what you will about the Gators but the talent is on that team they've got some big old boys uh, on that defensive line that should be one of the strengths of their defense if their defense really has any strengths this year so I'm curious to see how Jaquindon does uh, running against, you know, SEC men in the trenches um, to start the season. I am fully expecting, though, Utah to take control, especially if they can dictate this game on the ground. I think it's a huge advantage that they have it at home. And, you know, combine that with the fact that 
we don't really know what Florida is going to look like on offense or defense. Graham Mertz, the quarterback for the Gators, it, it makes me really nervous that his first start in a Gators uniform is on the road um, against the Utes in a, a hostile place to play, a place that explosive offenses have struggled in the past. And I don't know that Florida's offense is what you would call explosive, at least not right now. So this may be kind of the, the ground and pound uh, duel between Travis Etienne and that that backfield and Jaquin and Jackson and the Utes. I think a lot of people may be surprised at just how good Jaquin and Jackson's going to be this year. I know back a little while we picked him as a breakout candidate. He had a really, really good performance in the Rose Bowl against a really good Penn State defense. Um, and I think that any of the concerns about the SEC being a different level, yeah, it's maybe a different level than the Big Ten. Uh, but in terms of physicality up front, I, I don't think he's going to have any issues there. I think he'll probably end up being the X factor in this game. If he you know, does his normal thing, this could be a, a breakout wow moment in week one. Yeah, their their offensive line isn't going to be intimidated despite Georgia having or Florida, excuse me, having some monsters up front. And yeah, I, I, I don't think Utah is going to be intimidated. They just know what they saw last year. Their coaching staff is really good at making adjustments, especially when they are used to not having the talent advantage in a lot of instances um, and, and even in their own conference. So um, I, I think they'll be fine. I think this is going to be a really interesting test for both of them coming up the Thursday night. And man, it could really set Florida into a tailspin if they lose this game, right? They're, they're trying to prove the doubters wrong. And if they come out and lay an egg on Thursday night in front of the whole country, that could be a very difficult situation. Kind of what I expected them to do last year. Garrett and I both were on the Utah bandwagon, and it yeah. didn't ruin Utah's season. I mean, it did, you know, basically remove them from national title contention immediately. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't yeah. think even if Utah did somehow find a way to lose this, I don't think it derails their season as much as if Florida loses. It's like, all right, now, you know, every loss you take um, just puts Napier on the hot seat even more it turns the temperature up so uh, i'm excited to watch this uh thursday night week one i do want to say in florida's defense the contract with napier is structured in such a way that i think the the hot seat conversation is maybe a little bit overblown um he, he's not probably going anywhere even if he has a disastrous 2023 and 2024 I, I think there's a really good chance that he doesn't have a disastrous season in either of those but i think they're going to commit to him just based on the way that the contract is structured additionally I, I do think that no matter what happens here there's so many new players on this team there's so many new contributors and key faces around florida's team that even if they go on the road and lose which i think we would all expect them to do here I think that's still a, a, and you hate to say, it, but maybe a chance for some moral victories and some some places to take some keys and say, like, hey, you know, like we played well, we played physical, we hung with them, that type of thing, and that I think could help build a little confidence going into a, a, an SEC schedule, which will be tough, but Utah is going to be better than a bunch of teams in the SEC this year, so I think that they'll be able to take some of that in there you know, kind of rust off, shake off some of the rust very early and get started. I'm not expecting a huge season out of Florida, but just to come to the Gators' defense, I think that they'll be okay even if they lose this one early. Yeah, nothing puts a smile on an SEC fan base uh, like uh, like moral victories. So uh, <laughs> I would love to see how that goes over on the message boards. 
Uh, guys, let's stay in the Pac-12 here. Colorado at TCU. This game also week one, September 2nd. This is a noon kick, so you get prime big time noon. early on. Yeah, it's the big noon kickoff. It's Fox's continued propaganda that noon is the most important game of the day. Um, listen, whether you believe in Colorado's chances to compete this year or not, I saw a tweet while I was prepping for this that this game is the most anticipated game that a 1-11 team has ever played in. Um, <laughs> I, I do think it's going to be an interesting litmus test for, for both teams, right? Because TCU, they raid the portal. They get a bunch of blue-chip talent, former blue-chippers, uh, to come to Fort Worth. I'm thinking of the offense with guys like JoJo Earl, John Paul Richardson, um, out wide at wide receiver. Chandler Morris is going to be the quarterback this year. But they also lost a ton. A lot of veteran leadership got drafted uh, for the Horned Frogs. Obviously, you lose your, your star quarterback in Max Duggan, um, but you lose skill position players. You got lose guys in the secondary, right? Cadavius, uh, or what's his last name? Hodges Tomlinson. He's gone to the NFL, a, a big-time captain on your defense in the secondary. What, what do they do to follow this up, right? I mean, it's it, it would be so easy to kind of fall back regress to the mean a little bit and have a little bit more of an average season but i feel like expectations in fort worth aren't tempered at all they expect tcu to go run the big 12 once again make another run at a college football playoff guys very similarly to what i hear a lot of folks are saying about Deion sanders club in colorado that they should be a contender right away well, look, Colorado is coming in with the spotlight on them for the first time in a very, very long time, probably since they won a national championship in the early 90s. And look, they have the big noon kickoff their first two weeks of the year in Fort Worth and then back home against Boulder er, in Boulder against Nebraska. I think there's a really good chance college game day is going to be in the house for this one in Fort Worth sure. to kind of keep the purple hype machine going and the Deion Sanders hype machine going. This one's going to be a rude awakening for Colorado, though, isn't it? I just think I, offensively, the combination of the talent that they brought in on offense and TCU's lack of depth defensively, I'll just leave it at that for right now. I, I, I don't, don't think that Colorado is going to have a lot of trouble putting up points. Whether or not that they can keep up with the TCU offense is a big question to me because – Chandler Morris, I don't think he's going to miss too much of a beat, especially when he's throwing to guys like JoJo Earl and John Paul Richardson, a couple yeah. of veteran guys that are just uber athletic and going to be a lot of problems mismatch wise. I don't know who keeps up with them for Colorado, right? Like TCU could legitimately score 60, maybe even 70 points in this game if their offense is humming and ready to go right off the bat. Give them the Sooners treatment, huh? They could. And Colorado could score 40 because TCU's offense or defense, excuse me. Look, they didn't win with defense last year. Let's not confuse Ew. anything. They were not winning with defensive prowess last year, but they got just enough and got key stops at key moments. They've got to find who's going to step up for that this year. And I am not sure. I'm just not sure who those guys are on the roster yet. They, they've got to figure that out and facing a tough offense in game one is going to be really difficult. Expect a shootout, expect a lot of points to be scored, but I think TCU does end up pulling away. Uh, and just, you know, I think you set the over-under at one and a half stops for the Colorado defense, not counting garbage time. 
Are, are you taking the over or under on that? <laughs> That's a legitimate uh, question for me. <laughs> that might be a really good line. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a good chance that this game ends up being like the yearly lower your expectations bowl, right? The It seems like every year we have a couple of teams that come in with loads of preseason hype and everyone's talking them up and the media wants both teams to be amazing. And then it just kind of turns out that both teams probably shouldn't have taken very much from that game. Um, and you know, if TCU smokes Colorado here, I don't think that they should be taking that as a look at us. We're about to repeat and go back to the playoff. That, that I think that would be way overblown here. Um, I do expect TCU to take a step back. For me, this doesn't really have to do much with a pass game. I think the pass game is going to be just fine for TCU. Um, and that is given the fact that, yes, Colorado has a couple of very good corners who should play well. Um, for me, this comes down to run game and how much they're going to be able to run the ball effectively, not just in this game, but over the season for TCU. Replacing Kendra Miller is not going to be easy. I know that they have some good athletes, but I mean, at the same time, it's it's Kendra Miller. He had a really good season. And anytime you have a stud running back like that who can do to opposing defenses what he did, um, replacing him is not going to be easy by any stretch. They may have a guy step up and, and really perform well, but you're probably not going to replace him in game one. And so I'm curious to see how they run the ball here. I think Trey's pretty spot on with this. I don't think there will be a whole lot of stops here, um, but that also has a lot to do, I think, with the fact that, yeah, there's not great defensive performances on either side. Maybe save the the TCU-Texas game last year where TCU did not allow a touchdown to the Texas Longhorns, um, which was, I think, their one real like good defensive game so you take the one that you get and that's nice they, I guess they could come out and do that again but I don't think anyone would expect that um, but either way both teams should lower their expectations neither of these teams I think will be massive factors this year um, but that doesn't mean that both programs aren't moving in good directions right I think both programs are moving in a good direction for them I just think both fan bases especially need to kind of lower their expectations and then, you know, they can keep going on through the rest of the season and figure out, you know, oh, look, we're okay, we're improving, we're doing okay, and and they won't get their hearts broken when, you know, their week one result wasn't an indicator of their entire season. I The line for this game, early line, is TCU minus 20. So, uh, Trey, to your point, Vegas isn't expecting a lot of stops from the Colorado defense either. That's one of the things that's just a glaring weakness is they don't have anybody in the trenches. They've gotten all the you know speedy run fast guys, but uh, historically not exactly how you play winning football, um, at least not in today's iteration of, of modern college football. Sure, you need that, but you also got to control the trenches, and Colorado's not going to do that. So I, I think the Horned Frogs win this one comfortably uh, when we get there. I also think a lot of Shadur Sander Heisman tickets are going to get burned in the fire after yeah. that week. Well, and if you're Colorado, you can literally compare this to last year, right? Wasn't the final score in Boulder something like 55 to 7? Or no, 38-18. Like... It was Boulder? 7. Yeah, 38-18 in uh, last year in September okay. of 2022. It was 7-6 at the half, though. It was just the wow. worst offensive game of all time. And then Max Duggan yeah. came in, right? Yeah. Didn't Morris start that one and then Duggan came in? He did. Yeah, he did. So launched his just rise to stardom with a great yeah. second half there. So I don't know what I was remembering. Probably one of the other dozens of Colorado blowouts in the yeah, past. Yeah, exactly. Pick, <laughs> pick 11, pick 10 other games. You're, yeah. you're probably on the money. 
But I mean, I mean, you can compare just maybe the second half defensive performance then when Max Duggan comes in and just you know look for sheds of optimism there. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a regional rivalry in North Carolina versus South Carolina. This game is in Charlotte in Week One, the seven thirty p.m. kick on ABC September the second. Um, guys, I wrote. I've written two different articles uh, for the transfer portal here, previewing storylines. I wrote one for the SEC two weeks ago. I wrote one for the ACC this past week. I mentioned both of these teams in those previews. It's a crossroads for Mac Brown in North Carolina this season. It is a kind of prove-it year for South Carolina. A lot of off-season hype, a lot of great recruiting headlines going on. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to win these games for that reason, I'm very intrigued in Drake May versus Spencer Rattler, Mac uh, Brown versus Shane Beamer. Would love your temperature on this. There's a bunch of, well, I say a bunch. There's some really good games in, in week one, not as good as, as last year, but where does this kind of come in on your, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm carving out some time to watch this on Saturday night. This is the best game of Saturday week one. Uh, certainly. I think the next one we talk about with LSU Florida State on Sunday is yep. definitely a notch above this one. But Saturday-wise, this is absolutely the headliner for week one. And guys, I have no idea what's going to happen in this game. Like, I could sit here and make up something to tell you right now, but both of these teams, just with the defense that North Carolina has and we'll say spotty consistency that South Carolina has shown in the Shane Beamer era, this could go so many different ways. North Carolina could come out with an amazing offensive game plan and just blitzkrieg South Carolina with the weapons that they have offense and Drake May just being perfect like he has shown he can be in the past. South Car- or North Carolina could also give up 60 points to South Carolina and South Carolina could just run up and down the field if Spencer Rattler has a day like he's capable of, albeit hasn't shown it consistency- consistently. So, you know, the line right now is UNC one and a half. I think that shows more confidence in Vegas and early betters in Drake May versus Spencer Rattler. I think you're absolutely right to have more confidence in May versus Rattler. But would there be any outcome other than like a nine to six field goal fest that surprised you guys in this game? No, I don't think I don't think there's anything that would surprise me in this game. If I have to look for a, a difference here, I think I'm looking at the defense though, because yeah, like Spencer Rattler, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's elite. Um, certainly, they have the edge at quarterback. North Carolina has the edge at quarterback with Drake May, um, but guys, South Carolina's defense I think is several several steps ahead of where North Carolina's defense is. Who? Yeah. had real problems stopping anybody. I mean, we can compare different teams here, but like they, I mean, they gave up loads and loads of points to App State. Um, they, they made Cade Klubnik look like an exceptional quarterback uh, when, you know, the next week, the not very good Tennessee defense, or I guess the next game, the not very good Tennessee defense made him look very mortal. Um, and, and so I think the North Carolina defense has a lot of questions to answer before we have any business saying that North Carolina is an easy favorite in any of these games. Um, with that being said, yeah, Spencer Rattler can put up a stinker in a hurry and absolutely make this thing competitive um, because I don't think that this will be um, – I don't think either team will pull away in this one. Uh, I think that South Carolina's defense is going to play well. I think they're going to affect Drake May. And I think it's going to have to be, a, okay, well, what can Drake May do under pressure when he faces a good defense? 
will this be, you know, kind of a, a swan moment here where he can, you know, kind of start to blossom into a, a Heisman season type of thing? Or does he fall off the Heisman map week one and all of a sudden North Carolina look like, you know, they're right back to where they, you know, kind of have been the last 10 years. They're just kind of in the middle, not really competitive. An occasional good season from a quarterback puts them over the top. I'm not 100% sure where this is going. I think I would lean South Carolina here just based on what I know that I can expect. And the fact that, you know, week one, there's going to be inconsistencies both side. You know, there's going to be, you know, things to break in and everything else. In that situation, I want defense and I trust South Carolina more than I trust North Carolina right now on the defensive side of the ball. I'm curious where South Carolina ends up getting their pass rush from this season. They watched a couple of really good, well, I say that, a couple of highly highly rated players walk out the door um, Mm. and they didn't necessarily fill that through the portal. So I am interested to see how they affect Drake may in this game. Drake's going to get his, um, I think that his kind of quest to become the first overall selection in the NFL draft in 2024 starts tonight or starts tonight starts that night. I just don't know if it ultimately will result in a win. Or not, but I think it should be a really fun game, and yeah, something right. to look forward to uh, on that Saturday night. Final game to highlight here in Week One is the Sunday night clash between LSU and Florida State, and this one should be an absolute classic. It was last year, came down to Florida State blocking an extra point uh, to send the Tigers home in a rather grumpy mood. It obviously didn't ruin their season. LSU then goes on to go ten and two, uh, and they. Uh, win the SEC West crown before getting throttled by Georgia, but a lot of positives that LSU took away from last season. Florida state also did the same. They didn't compete for a conference title, but they have the most returning production per uh, ESPN. Uh, They've got Jordan Travis at quarterback who this could be a kind of a dark horse Heisman season for him. Uh, They've got Jared verse. Who's rushing the passer would have been a first-round draft selection off the edge this last year had he come out. He decides to come back for one more season in Tallahassee. Look, you guys know that the the portfolio with Knowles Coin is is doing is doing good right now. So I'm really looking forward to this game. LSU has the early line minus two and a half, but I think no matter which way this game goes, like this is this might be the sharpie you know, take the wives, take the kids out, uh, you know, to do something fun on Sunday afternoon so that Sunday evening comes, you're sitting in front of the TV with your favorite takeout. Absolutely. This, this is by no, all doubt, remove all doubt. This is the headliner of week one. And I love that it's a standalone game on Sunday night because we get to see, you know, two of the most electric quarterbacks in the whole country going toe to toe with Jaden Daniels and Jordan Travis both of these guys, you know, after week one, I last year when these two teams faced off and it was such a thriller, it wasn't a pretty thriller, though. I, I think there were a lot of questions about the offenses, both of these offenses and both of these quarterbacks after week one last year. Lots of big defensive plays, lots of athletic plays made all over the field, but it wasn't necessarily a pretty uh, aesthetically pleasing uh, thriller game. I'll, I'll leave it at that, but... Um, you know, this one being played in Orlando, neutral side on paper, I think the crowd will probably be pretty close to 50-50. LSU travels amazingly well, especially for big neutral site games like this. And Florida State's, of course, right around the corner in Tallahassee. So 
crowd may or may not be a factor. Florida State traveled pretty well to that game in New Orleans last they year did. as well. Um, of course, it was a glorified LSU home game, but Florida State did show up and did bring a lot of fans. So I don't know. Th- this is going to set the tone. It's not going to ruin either team's season, but it's certainly going to set the tone. I, I think there's going to be a lot of questions asked, rightfully so, on whoever loses this game. LSU, to me, could lose this game and still rebound and go to the college football playoff. I don't know if that's true for Florida State. I don't know that they would have the resume coming out of the ACC, even if they did go 11-1 or 12-1 and with an ACC championship. We're getting way too ahead of ourselves with, with, with uh, prognosticating that. But it'd be really interesting to see if Florida State could get in without uh, winning this game. Yeah, I certainly think the Knolls need this one more than LSU needs this one. Um, but with that being said, I also think this is going to be just like last year, one of the best games of the year. I think last year, this ended up being instant classic. People are going to talk about this one for a long time. I think we'll probably have a similar story here. I don't necessarily think it'll come down to a, you know, missing an extra point type of situation. I I wouldn't call that, but I do think there'll be some drama. There'll be some, you know, heroic moments. Uh, but if you ask me what's going to end up happening in this one, I think that you're going to have to look at the run game in this one to separate because the quarterbacks are so close. And in that, I'm going to give the edge to Florida State, one, because Trey Benson's a fantastic running back, and two, because LSU was not very good against the run last year. Their defense was great against the pass, rushed the passer extremely well, but was a little undersized in the linebacking core, a little undersized up front in the middle. Um, and so I think I think – that unless they can find a way to fix that in a hurry week one, um, yeah, things are going to look a little different this year in terms of controlling the ball for Florida State. I do think they'll be able to have a lot of success on the ground. Uh, and I think this one probably goes the way of the Knowles. I think if you just had to make me pick, I'd pick that way now. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, this is about as dead even as you can get on both sides. I mean, both teams are extremely close. Both teams look very similar in their makeup. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a coaching edge on either side. I know Brian Kelly's really established, but Norvell's doing great things at Florida State. And I think he's he knows his team about as well as anybody can know their team. And so I think, I, I think this is a very good game. I think this is probably going to be one of the best games uh, that we see all season. Uh, and my favorite thing is it doesn't compete unless I'm reading this wrong. It doesn't compete against the NFL because they don't start till the week after it's the week after you're going to get to put your full attention on this one. Um, eyes of the nation coming down. And I think it's going to, uh, not fail to discipline us here. It's going to be a great game. I think it should be a quality product, something that, um, you know, we, we pontificate on for a long time afterwards. And uh, guys, speaking of another quality product, let's talk about our our sponsor and partner, University Traditions. University Traditions knows that most sports fans are looking for clothing that you can wear everywhere, but also gives a nod to your favorite team and homegrown roots. That passion and inspiration led them to create some of the best looking hats that we at the Three Tech Pod have ever had the pleasure to wear. So we teamed up. And if you're watching on the video side right now, all three of us are rocking hats from uh, the collections, the various collections at University Traditions. They're also working on some new stuff right now. If you go over to their Twitter account, they're coming up with some new designs, which is really, really exciting. Uh, Listeners or viewers of this podcast can get a 15% discount off the entire order by using code 3TECH15. That's 3TECH15. Head on over to University Traditions website or search for them on social media. Tell them that we sent you and grab yourself some of the best looking hats 
on the market. You'll love their styles and feel the tradition with each new hat you own. University uh, University traditions wear your pride. Guys, four games in to this 10-game list, and we head to week two now, four of them uh, in that opening slate. On to week two, and we just talked about how uh, the Florida State LSU game might not derail the season necessarily. Talk about a game that can derail a season for one team. I give you Texas A&M at Miami. Week two, 3.30 kick Eastern Standard Time on the American Broadcasting Companies Network. Um, This game is going to depress one fan base something severe, right? You've got Texas A&M and Miami both coming off clunkers of a season. Both teams had a lot of preseason hype going in. Now, A&M, a little bit more hype. They were a dark horse playoff contender. If you listen to a lot of talking heads, Miami, it was their first year under Mario Cristobal. They were supposed to win eight, nine, maybe 10 games, compete for an ACC title. Neither of those things happened. They both missed bowl games. They both go five and seven. They both had embarrassing losses to group of five teams. Coming into 2023, both teams have kicked out their offensive coordinators in in favor of more dynamic setups. Uh, This is going to favor, I believe, the team that can play better defense. I think both teams should take a nice step forward offensively, although uh, to me there are more questions on Miami's side of things. What is Tyler Van Dyke? He had this nickname, Tyler Van Dyme, and then last year he was dreadful. Didn't have anybody uh, to protect him in the pocket, but he was still really, really bad. What does Miami's offense look like going forward into this season is the big question for me. And, you know, I can't wait to to see these two teams line up against each other. It's not going to be the raucous atmosphere that it was in College Station, but it, it should still be a very, very good game to kick off our Saturday week two. Yeah, speaking of games that were not aesthetically pleasing last year, uh, 17 to 8 or 17 to 9 in College Station was uh, – not gonna be one to write home about last year and it was a defensive struggle you nailed it both offenses really struggled especially out of the gate last year to really get anything going and both of them are gonna be looking for answers this year they're gonna be looking for a lot of validation in their offensive coordinator hires in week two as both of them you know get cupcakes week one the first big test of a power five game for both of these programs and, you know, a lot of eyes are going to be on this quarterback matchup as well. Connor Wegman got a lot of praise for what he did as a freshman down the stretch last year. I think rightfully so. He looked like he stabilized the offense a little bit. But this is going to be more and more his team going into year two in his first full year as a starter. So Tyler Van Dyke, man, I, I don't know what the temperature is in that Miami locker room on him. I can't imagine it's confident going into this year, but he is the best guy they have. And for him to be, for them to be where they think Miami should be, Van Dyke is going to have to do a lot more to put the team on his shoulders this year. Yeah. He really has to return to form if they're going to figure this out. Um, I, this one for me is just a complete guess. Um, I have no idea which direction this game is going to go. I think the big factor last year, and when I try to break this one down, I look at the fact that I think A&M has solved more of their problems 
from last year than Miami has when you look at matching this one up similar to last year. You got to remember, this was the first of the like freshman suspension games that AM had. They had a few of those last season where freshmen just weren't following team rules and they weren't available for certain games. And AM ended up being without, I think, their best receiving target, Nevin Stewart, in that game. Um, and so that may have contributed to some of the lack of offensive output, though I don't necessarily think I'm going to put that entirely on Evan Stewart not being there. Um, but it, when you look at everything, you're saying, okay, well, since then, AM has a different quarterback than played in that game. And he performed better at the end of last season than the quarterbacks had leading up to that point. Um, you also have to take in the fact that I think the issue with – the issue with Miami in the previous iteration of this game was the fact that they were playing at Kyle Field, which I think probably ended up winning the game for AM, just in terms of how loud and raucous that crowd ended up getting. It probably ended up winning the game for them. I don't think Miami is going to have that same uh, favorability in this. They don't really turn out great home crowds. Um, and you can hate me for it if you want to, Miami fans, but go fill up the Dolphin Stadium before I'm going to call it yours. Um, because you don't typically travel very well or put many fans in your stadium. So could be more AM fans at this game than Miami fans. There is a chance. Yeah. You, I mean, you're telling all those Texas people they get to travel to Miami, they they'll they'll take their trip. Um, and so I, I don't know, man. I just don't think they're gonna have the same home field advantage in this one. They still have quarterback questions with Tyler Van Dyke. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe this goes Miami's way. I don't see it necessarily going Miami's way, um, but this is the same thing with AM as it was last year. You might expect a whole lot out of them, and then they just crap the bed, and they just don't show up. So, you know, it's it'll be fun to watch, but it will crush one of the two fan bases and send them spiraling going into week three. Texas A&M has nothing to fear other than fear itself <laughs> and Jimbo bringing out his 37 play sheets like that. Yeah. That is, that's what boils down to a successful season or not. Like is Bobby Petrino allowed to cook with a dynamic quarterback and a whole lot of fun skill position players, or does Jimbo start filing his taxes again well, on, on the sideline? Like that's, that's it to me. We, the defense is going to play well. We know that um, there's, they've been, so electric over the last couple of years other than run defense last year which was leakier than a cheap faucet but you know maybe get out of three-man fronts and and suddenly you can defend the run um yeah miami doesn't have any home field atmosphere at least not right now so i you know i i think it's it's not going to be as cool of an environment as it was last year but it should still be a really fun game and uh and that i'm looking forward to Speaking of fun games, in week two, this is my Sharpie highlighter game, non-conference game of the year. I cannot wait to watch this. Texas at Alabama. The Longhorns have to go to Tuscaloosa. This will be the primetime game on Saturday evening, uh, ESPN on September the 9th. Um, Texas is in a make-or-break final Big 12 season. Alabama they're, they're hurt right now. They're bleeding a little bit. They are no longer the top dog in the SEC, and it doesn't feel like they're all that close to reclaiming it um, from what we've seen on the field. They don't have a quarterback one right now. Tommy Reese is their offensive coordinator. Take for that what you will. Um, but Saban's got to find an answer, and if, it, if he's going to find an answer in 2023, it's going to start by defending home field against the Texas Longhorns. Meanwhile, for Sark, he's got to get over the 10-win hump, right? He's never gone 
better than eight and four in a season, but Longhorn fans expect him to win double digit games this year to contend for a Big 12 title. I kind of do myself, although I would like to see him, you know, do that before I, you know, put any sort of hard earned American currency on it. But if the Longhorns are going to be nationally relevant, it's got to happen in week two. It starts with beating Alabama. This is, has the opportunity to be such a big symbolic victory for Texas. And you think about the big picture of things, you know, yes, getting the monkey off the back in these big non-conference games, getting, you know, moving into the SEC in 2024 with that momentum behind beating Alabama in 2023, that would be huge. And yeah, if there was ever a time to do it, week two of 2023 looks to be the most vulnerable that Alabama has been in quite some time, just from a coaching staff turnover standpoint, a quarterback standpoint, a lack of proven returning production at certain key positions standpoint, Alabama's vulnerable. Now Tuscaloosa is going to be rocking. That's an underrated home environment that they have in Tuscaloosa. And it's not going to be easy, but they have all the pieces they have a quarterback that can raise his play to a higher level when he needs to at least they think they do in Quinn Ewers they have some good receiver talent that can give Alabama problems they you know have unproven running backs but highly rated in recruiting rankings running backs that can hopefully carry the baton from Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson last year there's a lot of question marks for both of these teams coming into 2023 but I think Texas has fewer ones, right? I think Texas right now might have fewer question marks than Alabama, at least big question marks when it comes to who's going to be playing quarterback. And guys, we might finally get the answer to this to the question this year. What if that quarterback was healthy for Texas against Alabama? Because the last wow. few times they've gotten a shot at it, that's been the excuse, right? So we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Well, and you say that it might end up being a point of contention in this one. I think this is probably going to be the Quinn Ewers legacy game at Texas. And that's probably unfair to him, but that's what you get when you're the starting quarterback at Texas. You get put under the microscope, you get all the attention, all the bright lights turn on you, and you have a chance to, you know, go down like Vince Young scampering into that corner of the end zone and all the confetti raining down and everything else. So you can be Vince Young and be immortalized forever in college football history, or you can go out and, you know, look like several of the Texas quarterbacks, you know, since Colt McCoy and not necessarily have that same type of glory. Um, and, and does that mean that it's fair that this gets put on Alabama week two? No, that's not fair to him. But again, that's what you get when it's Texas. It's going to be a night game. Um, it's going to be on the road. And if he lives up to the billing, if he is everything that the Longhorn fans have been telling us that he is since Arch Manning turned out to not be good enough to be QB1, then he'll he'll end up, you know, probably taking the the Heisman front runner pace and the all the attention and he'll be able to go in there and Texas is back, right? Texas is officially back if Quinn Ewers beats Alabama. And if he puts up a stinker, do you think that if it's halftime and they're down 14 points? Everyone on Longhorn Twitter isn't shouting to throw Arch Manning into this game. That'll be every game. That'll, yeah, well, that'll I mean, literally that, be every, every game. single game. Absolutely. That's just what you get with the Longhorns on Twitter. But again, <laughs> this is a Quinn Ewers legacy thing here. So uh, I, I think that that's unfair to him. But at the same time, it's time for him to show if he is or not. I, I think that probably 
gives you your entire game. I think you're going to get kind of an old-style Alabama team here with not elite quarterback play, but very good talent around him, a great defensive effort, and probably a moderately scoring offense. Can Quinn Ewers overcome that? We'll see. Gosh, the comment section is going to be so, so calm and polite. Longhorn fans video. don't watch our videos, so. This is, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like, uh, what is it? Pro- producer Colin, it's like, Colin, this, this is your start point. Uh, this is your end point. Just, just, just book it. If you want to, if you want to up the engagement, if yeah, if you're right, uh, if Texas fans want to watch the video, then yeah. ooh, come tell go. me why I'm wrong. Texas fans. Um, let's go to new Orleans. And this is a game that we were surprised. There wasn't, Oh, by the way, Alabama minus six and a half, uh, early line over Texas in that one. This is a game that we were surprised. Doesn't have any sort of preseason line action on yet. Um, I think this is going to be a fascinating line. Ole Miss at Tulane, September 9th. This is also an afternoon game on ESPN2. So while you're watching Texas A&M in Miami, you can flip over to this one or vice versa. Uh, fun uniforms, fast football, a lot of really talented guys flying all over the field. That's going to be the Rebs in the green wave in this one. Um, I tell you what, Lane Kiffin, he can't recruit high schoolers, but he does a really good job recruiting the portal there's just no doubt about it he went out and got guys like Deshaun Gaddy from North Texas to come in and shore up that back end um, in the secondary meanwhile Willie Fritz nearly left for Georgia Tech right they kind of blew it by saying no you can't coach in the Cotton Bowl and that gave him enough pause to allow Tulane to rally and get a contract extension together Michael Pratt's back for another season I think a lot of people universally are a little bit more down on on Ole Miss uh, heading into this season than they might have been last year. They're going to have like 17 quarterbacks taking snaps this year. So, you know, do with that what you will. But I'm really pumped to watch Tulane at home get a shot to, to knock off the Rebs. Um, I think this is going to be a very, very close game. Again, I don't have a line to compare it against, but... I would really like to tune in and watch some of this, especially to see what Tulane can do against Ole Miss. I bet the line, if, if I had to guess, I bet the line will be about Ole Miss 10 and a half, 11 and a half, somewhere in there. Just not a professional odds maker by any means of the imagination, but that that's what I'd guess. Sometimes these Power 5 at G5 games have really funky lines and very yeah. and just ones that give you cost or pause as you're looking at them, but... I mean, what part of Ole Miss's stretch run last year gives you confidence that they're going to win this one going away, let alone maybe even win this game in New Orleans? This is going to be probably the best atmosphere Tulane has seen in a long time. I know there's probably going to be a lot of Ole Miss fans in attendance for this one as well, but I think Tulane's going to have the place rocking. It's going to be a great test for the Rebels, and if they're not ready, Tulane will knock them off. If they have not solidified who's playing quarterback, if they don't have an offense outside of Quinshawn Judkins, I think Tulane wins this ball game. I, I think that, you know, we saw firsthand, Mitch and I saw firsthand last year, they went toe-to-toe with the most explosive offense in college football and weathered and the storm and won the game. They found a way to win the game. I know USC made a lot of mistakes in that Cotton Bowl, but they found a way to win the game when their talent level was – you know, completely offset by USC and they couldn't stop USC for the vast majority of that game. They got clutch stops when they needed to in the fourth quarter. 
and they just found a way to keep chipping away at that game. What part of yeah. Lane Kiffin's stretch run at Ole Miss last year makes you think that he should win this one going away? They, there's nothing to me. I would agree with that. I mean, I think that your question here has to be, is Tulane minus Ty J Spears better than the difference between USC and Ole Miss? Because that seems to be what you're looking at here. Um, that seems to be the issue here with this whole game. I think that when you look at the fact that they're at home, when you look at the fact that they bring back Michael Pratt, and you look at the fact that Ole Miss is bringing in maybe one of the best running backs in the country. I'd say he's probably at least top three, top five, depending on where you want to put him versus some of those you know studs in the Big Ten. They're bringing him in, and run game typically travels, um, and that's that should be just fine. But, yeah, they're going to be breaking in some quarterbacks. I don't know that they have their quarterback question answered in week two. Um, if you're a Rebel fan, obviously you're hoping that they do, but I don't know that you necessarily have that. They have – the quarterbacks on the roster to be a special team this year. I think Spencer Sanders is very good. I think that Walker Howard could be very good. Um, And so I think that they have a quarterback on the roster who can be very good. The question is, when does he click with the offense and when does that magic formula come together for the Rebels? Does it come together by week two? I don't know. I don't know if that's 100% going to be there. So I think you have to look at this one with uh, some pretty green glasses on and saying that I think that Tulane has a chance to to make some noise again and show that maybe last year wasn't entirely a fluke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Pratt had a great performance at the Manning, uh, Manning Passing Academy as well, so he continues to develop. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, I think that line, 10.5, whether or not Ole Miss can cover it, I think the more accurate prediction might be 10.5 drinks per person in attendance. Um, the, the the vibes will be high. The, the party will be crazy. The libations will be flowing in New Orleans. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, Oregon at Texas Tech. The Ducks go to the desert to take on the Red Raiders. That'll be a night game on Fox. Tell you what, guys. Joey Mack is one of the most fun characters in all of college football. The vibes are good out at Texas Tech. They're recruiting well. And the foundation to become a winning program seems to be being built, kind of brick by brick out there. Joey Mack just had an interview, um, I believe, with J.D. Pickle when he said, I'm a high school football coach coaching college football. He knows how to win over the kids build those relationships with the parents, and then develop them not just as football players but as as human beings. It's a great characteristic to have. When you're not at a blue-chip program, you win kids in with your conversation. He's doing that. Dan Lanning's doing the same thing up at Oregon, just with some more resources. But he's got Bo Nix, who is embarking on a Heisman campaign, supposedly this season. Tell you what, I've already, I've already made my position known. I think Tyler Shuck, the former Ducks quarterback, pulls off an upset in Lubbock over Oregon. Uh, This isn't the preview by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just continuing to plant the flag. The Red Raiders, I think, beat Oregon, throw a big wrench into the Pac-12 playoff hopes in Week 2. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game, man. Like I I don't know what the over-under is going to be set at, but just take the over. Whatever whatever it is, take the over in this one the high flying offense at Texas tech Oregon has a great offense as well. Bo Nix silenced a lot of critics last year with his performance down the stretch, especially against any defense, not named Georgia. Um, yeah. And 
look, Texas Tech, for all the right that they are going to do, and I think they're going to win a lot of games this year, defense is the biggest question mark. So this is going to be a maybe a who-has-the-ball-last situation. Lubbock is going to be absolutely rocking. You talk about the great environments that we're going to see. This is going to be the one of the best ones you see all year. Lubbock welcoming. I, I don't know when the last time, if ever, Tech has had a non-conference home game of this caliber. It's going to be the first home game of the year as well. We mentioned on the last episode that they open up at Wyoming. And yeah, I'm just so excited to watch this game and see how these offenses try to figure each other out and how these defenses try to stop the other offenses because it's going to give defensive coordinators fits the entire afternoon. Yeah, it turns out maybe Lubbock, Texas isn't the most uh, desirable place to play for some of these massive Power 5 brands, but uh, yeah, neither here nor there. Um, I think this one is going to come down to whether or not Bo Nix is for real. Um, was last season a fluke or is he actually good? I think this is the game that'll tell you that. I think that he's good. I think he's fine. Um, I think that clearly the Auburn situation was bad for him and, you know, moving up, you know, to the Northwest with Dan Lanning, I think was a good decision for him. Um, and I think that they're going to be just fine going into Lubbock. Now, Last week, we kind of teased this on the podcast with Texas Tech. I said, it's going to be a dangerous day to be a duck. And I do think that that's true. Tech, when they're playing well, can get real crazy, real rowdy. Um, and yeah, this could go this could go poorly for the Ducks if they're not on. I think what you have to hang your hat on if you're an Oregon fan here is that Bo Nix has played in some crazy environments before, except now he has better talent around him. And he's more comfortable, I think, with the people around him as well. So I don't think this is a blowout by any stretch. I do think I'd probably still pick the Ducks to win this game. But I don't think this game would be described as comfortable for either team uh, at any point. I think this could be a who touches the ball last type of thing. Um, But I I do think the Ducks will make maybe one more play than Tech does in this game. A team that needs to be worried about the other side making one more play is the the hat that I'm wearing right now is the Knoxville collection from University Traditions, Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, They are having everyone pat them on the back. They're having everyone buy stock in them this season. They're having everybody on social media anoint anoint Joe Milton as kind of the next coming. UTSA goes in in week four. Uh, Date is September 23rd. We don't know TV information on it quite yet. But the Roadrunners might be the biggest group of five challenge out there this season. Frank the Tank Harris is back. Um, UTSA's got a really fun offense. Now, they did lose uh, uh, Zachary Franklin, but they've got plenty of other skill position players that I think can take that mantle and run with it. Tennessee's defense didn't do much last year. Uh, Trey, like you said, Tennessee was not winning games because they were the 85 Bears stopping folks at the goal line. They were winning because they were scoring 50 points plus um, with Hinden Hooker. So you talk about a week four game, kind of your last peak before you go into the the slog of conference schedules and, and Tennessee has a tough one. I'm not saying UTSA is going to win this game, but that is about as brutal of a week four challenge as I think you're going to find out there. And the Roadrunners, I think, are going to be really dangerous. Yeah, I don't know when Tennessee scheduled this game, how many years out this one was scheduled, but I highly doubt they were expecting this to be probably a top 25 matchup, if we're being honest of what the polls will look like week four. 
Guys, this is also sandwiched between uh, the Florida and South Carolina games mm-hmm. for Tennessee. Florida is the week before, South Carolina is the week after, and then right after South Carolina, they have a bye. So, I mean, I, we don't have a time slot for this game yet. I'm assuming with the other games in the SEC that week, it's not going to be the marquee matchup. We could be looking at a 11 a.m. kick on the SEC network. Knoxville's still trying to wake up, and all of a sudden they look up and – UTSA is giving them a run for their money. So I'm really excited to see Frank Harris has gotten a couple of shots at power five teams throughout his career at UTSA. They haven't always gone well for him. He's battled, but I don't know that he's necessarily had the full stable of talent around him, but man, this, this just feels like, you know, you're like in year two or three in your NCAA dynasty with that small school that you're starting off and you schedule that big non-conference opponent to go shock the world. And this feels like it could be a really, really fun coming out party for Frank Harris. It's, there's going to, again, again, another game where there's going to be a lot of points scored, not a lot of defense being played and who touches the ball last. It could come down to that in Knoxville. Yeah. And if any team's on upset alert, it's got to be Tennessee here because I, I think Frank Harris is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think he's better than Joe Milton. I think that he will play better than Joe Milton in this game. Um, and it's going to really be on if Tennessee has figured out anything close to a defense um, as to what happens in this game. I, I think that Frank is going to play very well in this game. And like you're saying, Trey, like this screams trap game. This uh, It's a night game against Florida in the swamp the week before. That is that's screaming track. And it's a, it's a sleepy getting back. You're rolling into a Monday practice and, and now it's time to look at film and to look at, you know, what is this team doing? And you've got, again, it's, it's probably going to be the morning kick and you've got a team in UTSA that has just joined a new conference has taken a step up in terms of where they are sort of nationally, what their brand looks like nationally. Um, they're, they're, moving in the right direction. And there's a lot of people that I think are picking them to win the AAC this year, just because of how good they looked in previous years. Um, they're, they're a very good football team. I don't have the confidence right now to pick them outright, but this does feel like one of those where, yeah, you could be looking up at 12 o'clock and they've got a, a 14 to nothing lead going into the second quarter. And a bunch of Tennessee fans are like, all right, let's get it together. Where's the offense? All right, come on. Let's just do us. Let's do our thing. Well, that and sounds Not familiar. realizing that, yeah, like this is a really good UTSA team who you cannot take lightly. Um, is Tennessee way more talented? Yeah, obviously. But they cannot take UTSA lightly in this spot. Well, in the South Carolina game the next week, you don't think mm-hmm. Tennessee has that one circled after what yeah. happened last oh, year? Yeah. It's a revenge game, yeah. This is a textbook trap game situation. You're absolutely right. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I think the Roadrunners Roadrunners are going to earn a lot more national street cred, I think, uh, in this game. It'll It'll be exciting to watch. Final game on our slate is Ohio State at Notre Dame, also a week four contest. And, guys, this is truly a watershed moment for Ryan Day. Um, the, the calls to win a championship, to, to be better in the biggest moments have continued to follow him. Now, listen, part of that is just spoiled Ohio state fans. Let's be honest. But the other part of it is Ohio state has not won a national championship since he took over. Um, despite having some of the best talent that that school has ever seen Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, they're, they're seemingly building something very, very special. The recruiting has been very good for the fighting Irish. Um, my biggest question, you got Sam Hartman 
as a quarterback of Notre Dame. You've got Kyle McCord as a quarterback of Ohio State. Can Kyle rise to the level of play that we've seen Sam produce when he's at his best? Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say that Sam is the perfect quarterback. He throws a ton of interceptions, and that could be the difference maker, right? When If Notre Dame needs a drive to win it, are you really trusting Sam Hartman to, to throw it to the right color jersey all the way down the field? Probably not. Um, but that being said, a lot of implications. Notre Dame trying to build towards a playoff contender, especially as we expand the postseason. Ohio State, with Michigan and Penn State being as strong as they are, with uh, Wisconsin being as plucky as they project to be this season, Ohio State's got to make sure they win this game. They cannot afford to slip up outside of the conference slate. I think this is a, a game with playoff implications on the line in week four. Absolutely, because this is going to be a tone setter for both of these teams. And last year we thought it was going to be I think most of the country thought it was going to be a runaway for Ohio State last year. Notre Dame's defense stood tall. Their offense obviously had a lot of problems stemming from the lack of a quarterback, and they went out and fixed that problem this offseason. I think Sam Hartman, yes, he did throw a lot of interceptions last year. That hadn't always been a problem for him uh, coming into the season last year, but yeah, he, he struggled with that down the stretch. But I think Sam Hartman, guys, when's the last time Notre Dame's had a quarterback as good as Sam Hartman? I think you uh, got to go back a long before Ian chapter. It was a before Ian paragraph. It was definitely not Deshaun Kaiser, despite getting whatever NFL draft love that he got. Do you have to go all the way back to Brady Quinn to have a quarterback as good yeah, as maybe. what Sam Hartman's going to be this year at Notre Dame? I, maybe uh, like that's open for debate, but this is going to be a Notre Dame 2.0 that we see this year in an offense that we haven't seen from them in quite some time. I think he's going to catch a lot of people by surprise if they haven't been paying attention the first three weeks of the season. I think they're going to put up points on Ohio State. I think Ohio State still has more talent on both sides of the football. I think they definitely have, you know, Kyle McCord can just, you know, chuck it up and pray and do pretty well with the receiving core that Ohio State's going to have. So not worried so much about Ohio State's offense, but I think they're going to have to put up, they're definitely going to have to put up more points this year against Notre Dame to actually win the game than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, last year, the 21-10 to 10 final, um, and not necessarily a wonderful showing there. Um, and that's when you had C.J. Stroud, who, I mean, I had some up-and-down criticism of his last year, but very good quarterback, very talented quarterback, uh, at least in terms of what he had proven up to that point versus what Kyle McCord has showed us up to this point. Again, we still don't know much of what he has. And look across, it's Tyler Buckner getting swapped out for Sam Hartman. So, uh, I think you look at this one, and if you're Ryan Day, I don't think, I don't necessarily think this is a must win, but I do think this is a can't lose if there's any real distinction there. Um, I, I think that for him, he's got to really pull out all of his, you know, coaching skills and all his tricks in the bag to to figure this one out. He has the talent advantage at almost every single position, except probably the main one and probably the one that on the road you need it at. Um, and so his ability to coach up Kyle McCord, his ability to get him in a game-ready spot at Notre Dame, you know, he's going to have a few games to break him in, a few games to really get him warm and ready to go. But um, you, you need probably a really good performance out of McCord with plenty of talent. He's going to have loads of talent, probably two of the best three wide receivers in the country residing at uh, Ohio State. So 
if you can't do it with them, it, it may not be uh, a great future for Ryan Day at Ohio State. I certainly don't want to sound the alarms, but he has had an issue with the big games the last couple of years. Um, this is a big spot for them. I think that they should win the game. But yeah, that quarterback battle has to be the one that you circle um, with the talent advantage in terms of what he has to play with going towards McCord. But I think clearly Sam Hartman having an advantage going into this game. Trayvon Henderson's got to be a big factor for Ohio State as well. They're gotta gonna have be. to. They're gonna have to have a balanced offense to win this game on the road again. Week four. That's your nightcap on NBC. Uh, going to polish off a very very solid slate of non-conference games. Those are our top ten again, just in chronological order: Florida at Utah, Colorado at TCU, North Carolina. Uh, at South Carolina, a neutral site game. LSU at Florida State, also a neutral site game. Texas A&M at Miami in week two. Texas at Alabama. Ole Miss at Tulane. Oregon at Texas Tech. And then skipping over to week four, UTSA at Tennessee. And Ohio State at Notre Dame. Very quickly, guys, as we wrap this up, we had some honorable mentions as well. Are there any from that list, uh, which... By the way, you can find this full article. You can find the full list of honorable mentions over on the Transfer Portal CFB website. I've written this up in article form as well. But guys, any any name, any matchup you want to throw out there as we wrap up? I'm going to throw out a couple G5 at Power 5 games. We talked about UTSA at Tennessee. Week 1, Coastal Carolina, Grayson McCall taking on UCLA, who new quarterback, new uh, running back, a lot of new pieces for UCLA. It could be really interesting to see if UCLA is ready for that one. And SMU at Oklahoma in week two. Preston Stone finally getting the chance to start and run that electric offense at SMU. Obviously an electric offense at Oklahoma. It's a defense that has had some trouble stopping people in Brent Venable's year one. Both of those games probably have a lot of points scored and could see a couple G5 upsets there. Well, and another G5 going to a Power 5 team. How about South Alabama heading to Oklahoma State Week 3? That's one that I would circle just due to the fact that South Alabama obviously coming off a good season, but Oklahoma State with some massive losses to the portal um, and a whole lot of talent just kind of walking out the door. They're going to have to rely uh, on a lot of new faces earlier in the season there. Obviously, getting the game at home is nice, but could be a tough matchup for them. And also, I want to go ahead and circle Kansas State and Missouri. Uh, we talked about that one a little bit last week with Missouri, but I think that should be a really fun one. Kansas State, obviously, with the the superstar running back, DJ Giddens, coming back. Um, I'm just going to keep talking about how great he is because he keeps doing well on our YouTube channel. And then Missouri, uh, a spoiler pick for us this year to really perform well in certain spots. Should be a really fun game to watch. I was going to mention Kansas State at Missouri as well. That's a big one, big test for Missouri, especially uh, Pitt at West Virginia week three. Uh, the backyard brawl, not the season opener that it was last year. And boy, last year it was so fun to watch. That Thursday night game was the perfect way to kick off that season. To me, it's a little disappointing that it's week three. This obviously will be um, a pit going on the road to West Virginia. An absolute must-have for Neil Brown if he's going to keep his job uh, over in country roads land. But I'm excited to see just the, the hate, the rivalry reunited, especially after how strong of a season it was for Pitt. Most notably, no Keaton Slovis this year. He transferred over to BYU. So it's a new quarterback, a new look offense over for Pitt as well. Um, overall, some very, very fun 
non-conference games. Again, if you want to see kind of our viewing recommendations, head over to the Transfer Portal CFB website. You can find that article in full. Uh, For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for watching and or listening today. Head on over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, Also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, how about that?